Matthew 26 is going to be the uh, passage of Scripture that we read in just a moment. We're going to read verses 57 through 75 this morning. And we're going to read that in just a moment. But before we do read that, I want to share just a few thoughts and meditations that uh, have been on my heart in relation to the events that took place last Saturday in Charlottesville, Virginia, and then this weekend in Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, touch on the theme of racism for a few moments before we get into the passage and preach the sermon. So I'm going to touch in on that now. And uh, one of the things that I was really affected by is our August... Our August Bible memory verse for children's ministry states, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my rock, and my redeemer. Um, I was thinking about that verse in relation to the call of God for the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts, especially as Christians. We want to long for them to be acceptable in God's eyes and in God's sight. Um, I want to say just a few things. I'm not going to be able to go into it in extensive detail, obviously, uh, this morning, but I do want to uh, impress home a few principles in Scripture that might just help us frame what's taking place, because we want to make sure that we uh, we really understand God's Word on this issue, and that we don't sort of uh, take our cues from how the world is framing the discussion on racism. Racism is sinful against God and needs to be repented of and turned away from in all its forms. Um, It's a big deal and it still happens and we have individuals, brothers and sisters in Christ, even in our church who have been victims of racism and who are victims of racism. I was talking with uh, a couple of uh, individuals in our church um, some of you who know Aaron and Vonnie Jones, one of the things that they were touching in on and helping me with this week is that one of the things that can really affect them is when brothers and sisters in Christ sort of say, you know, what's the big deal about all this? I'm sick of hearing about it, sick of talking about it. What we need to understand is our brothers and sisters in Christ um, and those who are dealing with racism or dealing with it often and they're experiencing the, the effects of it in society in a way that's sort of a regular oppression that they face to varying degrees, whether it's strong or a little bit weaker. They're, they're constantly made aware of the, the tensions and difficulties. And so one of the things that uh, Vani said that was so encouraging to me was, when one of us hurts, we all should hurt. And I think that that's a very important principle for us as brothers and sisters in Christ. When one of us hurts, 
we all want to enter into the, the suffering and the plight of one of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if it's a big deal for our brother or a big deal for our sister, it, it needs to be something that even if I haven't developed my thoughts a lot on, I want to enter into that with my brother. I want to enter into that with my sister so that I can carry their burdens in Christ. A few principles here in relation to uh, racism. One would be this. There are many ethnicities. There's one race. This principle here has been so helpful for me as Pastor Tabidi Anyabwile wrote a number of years ago. Tabidi, gotten a chance to interact with him. Actually, my son's middle name, Blair's middle name is Tabidi. And uh, we named him after Tabidi. And one of the reasons we did was he's been so helpful in relation to issues dealing with the principle that there's many different ethnicities. There's one race. We are all of us. As human beings, listen carefully to this, this is important. We are all of us as human beings, descendants of Adam and Eve. And as such, are equal. Equal in personhood, value, dignity, and worth in the eyes of God. We are all of us human beings equally created in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So we should shun and denounce racism in all its form, considering it a sin of pride, which God hates. Racism also disregards God's word, which from the very start in Genesis 1.26, God's word rejects. When the word of God says in verse 17 of Genesis 1, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We want to make sure that we remember that from the very beginning, God created man in his own image. We all equally bear the image of God and are beautiful and glorious in God's eyes. And we want to have that perspective as we look at the world. Here's another principle. Being a brother or sister in Christ with all the Christians around the world from every tribe and tongue and color of skin, matters more than our ethnic language or cultural identity. Being a brother or sister in Christ with all the Christians around the world, from every tribe and tongue and color of skin, matters more than our specific ethnic language or cultural identity. All of us need to embrace this. Galatians 3 states this in verse 26. So you have Genesis 1, Galatians 3. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ 
have put on Christ. And in verse 28 of Galatians 3 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. This was a great ethnic divide in the culture at this time. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. All of us. Heirs according to promise. Isn't that beautiful? As Christians, listen carefully, we are all one through our union with Christ through faith. We are all part of one body. The body of Christ. We are all branches of the same vine. Jesus Christ. We are all of us united, Galatians 3 talks about, in our need for the cross and also the provision of the cross. We're united equally in our need for it and in the provision of it. We must, brothers and sisters, be more concerned about standing for God's word and standing upon God's word must be more of a passion and a priority than standing for my rights. Standing for God's word must be more of a passion and a priority than standing for my rights. Not stumbling a brother or sister with what I say matters more than me speaking my opinion and feeling like I got something off my chest. We can sometimes be more concerned with speaking our mind than we are speaking God's mind. We can be more concerned with walking away satisfied that I said it like it is, and I got something off my chest. Then we are honoring God with everything we say and remembering that the Lord is going to judge on that final day every idle word. Let us, Christ community, not be individuals known and celebrated for giving their opinions arrogantly, but rather loving deeply one another. Let us be known not as individuals who delight in speaking our mind. In Proverbs, the Word of God says that a fool delights in airing their own opinions, just Throwing opinions. This is what I think about this. This is what I think about this. And without consideration, speaking in the fear of the Lord, words that are going to edify and build up our brothers and sisters. So let it be that it's not that when I speak my own mind, I'm satisfied, but rather asking this question, were my brothers and sisters built up, edified by what I said, or my attitude towards this situation? Another question, 
Is God glorified in my attitude? Is God glorified in my spirit? Is God glorified in the words I speak, in the thoughts and intentions of my heart? As Romans 14 says, listen carefully to this, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never. Let us all decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. You might add in there or our opinion on this matter or that matter. But the kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This command in Romans 14, so let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. We want to think on two fronts. Firstly, about this lost world and what they see in our attitude and in our words as we address them. The, the, the scriptures say they will know that you're Christians by your love. They will know you are Christians by your love. We've talked about this before, but sadly today, many Christians are known for being arrogant opinion givers. Uncompassionate. And willing to just speak their mind and lay a wake of hurt feelings behind it and walk away satisfied because, hey, I said what I wanted to say. Brothers and sisters, let us have the attitude like the Apostle Paul that if I know that if I eat meat sacrificed to idols, which isn't a problem for me, I have that right. I'm free in Christ to eat that meat. But my brother or my sister, they're going to observe me eating that and they're going to stumble or fall. The Apostle Paul says, listen, I'll never eat meat again. I will never eat meat again rather than stumble my brother or sister. Let us have an attitude of, God, I want to do whatever I can to before this lost world. I want unbelievers to see the love of Jesus on me. I want them to know me by my love for the brethren. I want them to know me for standing up for righteousness and truth. And speaking the truth, but doing that in love. Let us be distinct from this world. And brothers and sisters, let us also be distinct from sadly, so much of mainstream Christianity where sadly the spirit of what is spoken sometimes is not the spirit of Jesus. Let there be something different about our spirit marked by our Let our conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Let us be compassionate. Let us speak that which is for the mutual upbuilding and edification for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us do everything we can to cause unbelievers, if they're going to reject Christ, let them reject Christ because we are preaching Christ to them. 
and not because before they even get to hear about Christ from us, they bump into our arrogance on issues that have importance, but they're not as important as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us make sure we do everything we can to our brothers and sisters to say, I'm going to do everything to remove any possible stumbling stone to my brother or sister in Christ. And let us, Christ Community Church, be united, absolutely united, that racism is sinful against God and needs to be repented of and turned away from in all its forms. Let this be a haven. I was so thankful talking with Andre the other day at our church picnic, and he just feels like the unity in our church is so around Jesus Christ, and he hasn't felt racism in our church. And I'm so thankful for his perspective, and praise God for that. But brothers and sisters, we need to recognize that just due to the fall, the the seeds of racism or taking attitudes of superiority towards other people they just are in our hearts due to just the fall and we need to constantly be recalibrating ourselves according to the word of god and not by the world so that as the years go on our love for one another our love for christ our growing distance from the racism that still exists and is a really significant issue today. We are far away from and standing with brothers and sisters in Christ who believe that God hates racism. Let us glorify and honor the Lord in these ways and let us as Christians when people see us may they see Jesus and the embracing of Jesus Christ of all nations equally at the foot of the cross peoples of all color can come together at the foot of the cross and let us celebrate that And be reflecting God's heart to this world that so desperately needs to see a true church, a true representation of the truth of God's word. I love you, church. And there's so many issues in our day that we all need to stand together with. And this is one of them. Let us do everything we can to honor God, and not just with the issues of racism, but every other issue as well. Let us do everything we can to speak that which is building up our brothers and sisters. As Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. Do you see the others focus of Scripture? Building others up according to their need, that it might benefit those who listen. We want to benefit those who listen. We want to build others up. And we want the gauge of what we speak to be not the self-satisfaction of saying, well, I said what I wanted to say. But rather, 
I believe humbly that I said what God wanted me to say. And I said it in the spirit of Jesus Christ. To the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church, for just your heart. Let us truly be a refuge as our mission statement talks about. A refuge, a place for weary and disillusioned believers to enjoy life and rest in Jesus. An oasis at the bottom of your first page of your announcements where all can be found, refreshed in the grace of God, passionately worshiping our Savior, Jesus, and also cultivating caring, godly relationships. I love you, church. Let's transition to Matthew chapter 24 or 26. We're going to begin in verse 57. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death, but they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard this blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. And then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him saying, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The title of the message is Christ's Sufferings and Peter's Denials. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I ask for your blessing on the preaching of your word this morning. And Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would touch all of our hearts and cause us to love you with an even deeper devotion and passion. Lord, if there's anybody here who has never yet repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, help them to do so at this time. God, there is no other hope for salvation 
after we die than through faith in Jesus Christ and repentance from our sins and turning toward Christ in repentance and faith. God, please let this be the day of salvation for some. And Lord, also I pray that you would greatly build us up as the body of Christ. Feed us and strengthen us through your word and help our love and our adoration of Jesus, your son, deepen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The first point we're going to look at is falsely accused. The second point is unjustly judged. Thirdly, humiliated. And fourthly, denied. This is going to talk about four particular sufferings of Jesus Christ. Number one, he was falsely accused. This council here that Jesus was brought before, this council before Caiaphas and the council was before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin in this section of scripture were amongst those who went out and arrested Jesus through the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. They carried him back and actually led Jesus to Annas and Caiaphas' house. They were actually two residences combined by a common courtyard. So you'll hear different gospel accounts that talk about that Jesus was in Annas' house, who was the father-in-law to Caiaphas. And then you'll hear other accounts that say, no, he was in Caiaphas's house. And that's how you can sync the two. They actually lived in one large residence on two different wings with a common courtyard. And that's where they brought Jesus at this time. They led him to Caiaphas, the high priest. They were already seeking to gather members of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin consisted of 70 members of leading priests and teachers of the law in Jerusalem. And it was finalized by the sitting of the high priest who made 71. They kept an odd count so that there would be no tie vote for any vote that was taken. But these the 70 member Sanhedrin really represented the political power of Jerusalem at this time. In fact, the, the Jews of Jerusalem... Actually, and you'll see this, there's evidence of even racism in this passage where when Peter is actually being asked by the servant girl, she talks about Jesus, the Galilean. The Galileans were looked at as lesser Jews. They were the Jews of the north, the Jews that were not as elite or high up as we are here in Jerusalem. And so... And she actually says, your accent betrays you. So they would listen carefully to how someone talked and judge them based off of how they talked and what their accent was. And, and they had an attitude of superiority, the, the uh, Jerusalem Jews, toward the Galilean Jews. To be a Galilean was to kind of be looked at as lesser. And so Jesus was a Galilean Jew. He understood racism, having received it himself, not only just in relation to being despised and rejected by the, the Jewish people as a whole in relation to him. He came to his own, John 1, and his own did not receive him. Jesus also understood what it was like to be looked down upon simply because he was from Galilee. So it's important to note that racism has begun ever since the fall, and it's continued on, and it's going to continue on all the way until Jesus comes back. It's it's really not going anywhere. We can pride ourselves on not being as racist of a culture as 
during the civil rights movement or especially back in the 1860s when there was slavery and we can, we can congratulate ourselves that we're not like those racists. But the reality of it is, is we all have to take stock of our hearts. We all have to repent of where latent racism might be the case or attitudes of superiority towards somebody who has a different accent than we do or somebody who's from the north and that carries a connotation that one looks down upon in this passage. Jesus was on the receiving end of that, but it wasn't just this hatred. There was a far deeper hatred that this Sanhedrin had towards Jesus because he was claiming to be God. He was claiming also to be God's Messiah, the suffering servant. And they wanted to put him to death as quickly as possible. They convened this council at night because they were so afraid that if the crowds heard that they were going to put Jesus to death, that the crowds would go in tumult. And so they sneakily carried out what normally was a three-day deal. This trial. It was against Jewish law. To carry out a trial like this, especially a death sentence trial, in anything less than three days. They got it done in 12 hours. Because they did it at night, clandestine to keep away from the crowds. The Passover feast was celebrated. Individuals were in bed, but these men were hard at work. Hard at work seeking to put the mechanism into place by which they might murder our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's so sad to see the scheming, and it's so sad to see men who were meant to teach the Word of God, like the high priest, scheming to put the Son of God Himself to death, along with the rest of the Sanhedrin. And yet, here it is. Jesus was brought before them, and He was. they were all pre-convinced of Jesus' guilt. There is... So many violations of the way that this trial should have proceeded. The only thing that was carried out in fairness to Jesus was that when someone had a death sentence passed against them, according to Jewish law, the the Jews, out of mercy, would, would present the strong drink to seek to numb them from some of the pain before they died. That was considered an act of mercy. Jesus was even denied this from the Jewish people here, that needed to be offered to him by the Romans. So there was no fairness in this trial. They dealt with this in the middle of the night. And one of the things that they understood was that Pilate dealt with things early in the morning. And as a high up Roman official, once he worked hard in the early morning, he stopped work early and didn't take any more cases after mid-morning heading into early afternoon. And so they got this case to Pilate as fast as they could because they wanted Jesus dead and gone. There's such a hatred and an animosity towards our Lord. And they bring, Matthew's Gospel says, they were, in verse 59, seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put Him to death. But they found none. Our Lord was innocent and not guilty of any sin or any violation of the law of God. All he did here was give the good confession that he indeed is the Christ. And yet, this was a signed, sealed, and delivered, pre-convinced of Jesus' guilt trial. 
that was sort of going through the motions to get evidence against Jesus. And you see that when people hate, they readily accept false witnesses. And that's what the Sanhedrin did here. And eventually, after they had many witnesses, all who fell to the ground, there were two that stuck. And they basically just heard what they wanted to hear about Jesus. Somebody who was present when Jesus said, if you destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days, in the John 2 account, heard that and showed up this night to give a report of that. Took Jesus' statement out of context where he wasn't talking about in that moment destroying the physical temple and committing blasphemy in that way. He was saying, if you destroy me, I'll be raised in three days. He's talking about in typological language that the temple points to who I am. I am the temple, he said in John chapter 2. I am the place, Jews, where you come to meet with God. I am the mediator between God and man, the place where you come to meet with God and the place that you come to be saved by God. And, and yet someone stood up, took that statement out of context and said that Jesus committed blasphemy and they were all too ready to seize upon it. And so they did. They falsely accused him. These were false charges. And then we see in point two that he was unjustly judged. The high priest Caiaphas in verse 62 stood up, it says, He says, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? And Jesus remains silent. I couldn't help but think of the hymn that we love, Behold the Lamb, silent before his accusers. He's got accusers coming, one after the other, and nothing that they're saying is accurate about Jesus. And he's just remaining silent. you got to contrast this. I love this thought that, remember the Apostle Paul, when he was brought before the high priest, in a trial, he became so frustrated by their pre-convinced guilt of him that he actually rebuked them in the presence of all of them. Remember that when he was struck? He got angry, sinfully angry, and said, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. And then someone said, you just said that to the high priest, and he melted. He softened. He realized he had sinned. The pressure that Jesus was under here to stand up for his own rights. To stand up for himself. And yet, brothers and sisters, he doesn't do that. He, he, he sets his face toward the cross and he is, he is doing everything to be silent before his accusers under the greatest of strain of temptation to defend himself. He's silent. And he never sins once in the face of being falsely accused and then being unjustly judged by Caiaphas here. Caiaphas finally gets sick of the whole thing and just cuts right to the chase and says, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ or the Messiah. Are you our Messiah? He asks Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. It's wonderful. In Luke's account, you have to look it up. It's great. Jesus just says, I am. I am. This is where 1 Timothy 6.19 talks about Jesus being the one who gives the good confession. He speaks the truth very aptly and succinctly and says, I am, or you have said so here. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. 
and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's falsely charged and falsely sentenced. But in the midst of all this darkness, there's this ray of light here. Jesus' good confession where he says, I am the Messiah. If you ever have doubts that he's the Son of God, remember it came off his own lips that he is. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God's Son, the second person of the Trinity, one in essence with the Father and the Holy Spirit, our triune God, three in one. God the Father in love sent His own Son to take on human flesh and to come down in the midst of this and be suffer, suffering as a man of sorrows familiar with suffering. God's Messiah, the suffering servant, came to lay down His life as our true Passover lamb so that the wrath of God might be satisfied as the wrath was poured out on Jesus as our substitute so that we might be saved from it. Oh, brothers and sisters, marvel at the cross and marvel at the Son of God and what the angels must have been thinking as Jesus is here being falsely accused, unjustly judged, the King of kings and Lord of lords who deserves to just be sitting on the throne forever and ever has humbled himself and condescended to take on human flesh and be obedient to death and the humiliation of the cross. And here he says to them, as he's sitting there like a gentle lamb, silent before his accusers, he gives the good confession and tells Caiaphas to his face, from now on, you will see the Son of Man. That's the other twin title, Son of God and Son of Man that the Scriptures used to talk about God's Messiah, Jesus Christ. You're going to see me, Jesus saying, seated at the right hand of power. The next time you see me, you're going to see me at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. It's a true statement, but it must have seemed, seemed like such a, a statement that deserved ridicule and scorn in this moment as Jesus, all his friends had deserted him. One of his own disciples had betrayed him for 30 silver coins, a, a meager sum to show just, just how little he was valued in that moment by one of his very own. All of the disciples had fled earlier in the chapter has described to us. And here's Jesus, a gentle lamb, sitting before them, humbled and humiliated and arrested, a victim of unjust accusations and an unjust and unfair trial, saying to them, do you know in not too long the roles are going to get reversed? And you're not going to be sitting in the seat of power judging me. I'm going to be in the highest seat of power judging you. Coming back in power and in glory. And he will judge justly, brothers and sisters. And he will judge fairly. And it's a sobering thought to think that these individuals here who falsely accused him and unjustly judged him were not too long to be before the throne of power. And the next time that they see him coming, he will be coming on the clouds of heaven. Brothers and sisters, let us marvel at the gentle lamb, the lamb of God that was slain, 
who is also the man who sits on the right hand of the throne of God, the right hand of power coming on the clouds of heaven, that he submitted himself to even this unjust judgment for us. For us. The high priest, when he hears this, rather than repenting and believing and putting his trust in the Lord and saying, I bow my knee to you, even as I know I will bow my knee in the future when you return. Instead, says, he has uttered blasphemy. Jesus did not utter blasphemy. He uttered the, tr- uttered the truth. He uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? Caiaphas stirs them up. And you got to understand, he just expediently moves this along. And it's so unjust what Caiaphas is doing. He's breaking his own laws to do what he's doing here. You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And he calls on the entire assembly to give their judgment. And the Sanhedrin answers, he deserves death. There was a provision in the law that if there was a unanimous decision, they wanted to be so merciful that if there was a unanimous decision of guilt, the prisoner immediately went free free because they felt like this, this couldn't have been a just trial if we've all come to the same conclusion, but not in this trial. In this trial here, there's a unanimous, he deserves death, and then the suffering commences. The third point is humiliated. This was part of the suffering of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 67. And let this affect you, brothers and sisters, because this happened to our dear Savior and precious Lord. Then they spit in His face. you got to understand, in Jewish culture at this time, there was no higher insult that you could give than to spit in somebody's face. And that's exactly what happens. The precious Son of God, who loved His people so much that He came and took on flesh and condescended. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus comes down and He's born in a humble manger and comes and grows up. And He's coming there for them. He's coming there to save them and us. He's willingly, as the suffering servant, submitting Himself under the mighty hand of God to go through as our substitute the cruel death of the cross not too long from now. They should have been worshiping Him for what He was about to do. And instead, the leaders and the chief priests and the high priests of His own chosen people spit in His face. This is what Jesus willingly submitted Himself to. So great is His love for you, brother. So great is His love for you, sisters. He went through this and He never rose up in anger. I mean, He had just been through the receiving end of being falsely accused and unjustly judged and unjustly sentenced. And now they let Him have it with the full fury of their animosity and their disgust. With this precious spotless Lamb, He is spit upon. Oh, Jesus, thank You. You know, in Hebrews chapter 12, when it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. 
I don't know if any of you have ever been spit upon. But the humiliation and the the shame that was being heaped upon Jesus. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. And that humility and that humiliation, it went down and down and down into a dark valley, brothers and sisters. And he was pressed and pressed and pressed. And he's not even at the cross yet. They spit in his face. The King of kings and Lord of lords. And they struck him. We saw last week, church, that the Scriptures say, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Well, here he's struck. And some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? And if Jesus, of course, knew the answers to those questions, but he was silent. As they blindfolded him and struck him, the other gospel accounts talk about prophesy to us. They're, they're mocking him. They're mocking him as spit is running down his face. And he is doing that because he loves you and wanted to save you and me from the wrath that we deserve in hell forever. That is how great God's love is for you. Marvel at that. Drink that in deep, brothers and sisters, that this is what Jesus went through. For you. Won't you turn to Him? Him who went through all of this for you that you might be saved. Anybody who thinks that God doesn't care. Look at how deeply He cares. About you. That He would send His own Son to go through this mockery. That He would send His own Son to go through this shaming. Of being spit upon and humiliated. And being mocked, prophesied to us, Christ, prophesied to us, Messiah. Thanks for telling us that you're the Messiah and that you're going to be seated at the right hand of power. We'll tell you what we think about that. And so Jesus was greatly humiliated. And in the midst of that humiliation, Peter's sitting outside. His guy. His man, the one that just moments, hours before was pledging. I'll, even if I got to die with you, I'll go with you. And, and he's, he's, he's pledging his allegiance to suffer and die with Jesus. He's sitting outside in the courtyard. It says in the scriptures, he's keeping at a distance. And a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. And this is where there's another point, point four. His denial. This is our final point. You were also with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. It seemed like there was just a sequence here that took place. Verse 71, And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. So there's two different girls that come up to him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. 
And then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. This language here of a curse is basically, he was so vehement that he didn't know Jesus that, and, and so adamant to try to testify that him not knowing Jesus was the truth that he said, may God bring death and damnation on me if I'm lying to you right now and I'm not lying to you. I don't know Jesus. And immediately, the rooster crowed. In Luke's account, Jesus and Peter's eyes meet as Jesus looks at him. It seems that most likely, maybe from an upper room window, Jesus, who at this time was getting beat up pretty bad, had spit running down his face and was getting mocked, turned and caught Peter in the courtyard. And listen, just because Jesus knew this was going to happen, he prophesied that Peter was going to deny him three times, and he did, it doesn't mean that the sting of his guy denying it even knew him three times, right before Jesus is about ready to go and die for him, didn't hurt. Judas had betrayed him, went off into the night, He's sitting there right there because one of his own disciples betrayed him. All the other disciples flee for their lives. Peter follows at a distance. And then in fulfillment of the word of God, denies even knowing Jesus three times. And then the rooster crows. And in a glorious word of hope for every one of us in this room, the last verse, he went out and wept bitterly. What you have to understand is, praise God, Peter in that moment, through the look, through the rooster crow, he softened and, and, and went off. And we don't know how long he prayed. Some think he probably went back to the Mount of Olives and just wept and wept and wept. Tears of repentance toward God. Do you understand that all of Peter's weeping bitterly would never, ever have been able to atone for even one of his transgressions had the one that he just denied three times not kept going? The one whom in the passage we looked at last week said, hey, listen, I could just call on 12 legions of angels right now. And this little group of Sanhedrin, you think you've got power, you would be done instantaneously if I called on them to come. They are looking, the angels upon this scene, and seeing spit running down the King of Kings and Lord of Lords' face. The one that they have worshipped in heaven previously. They're seeing the humiliation, the scorn. It's no wonder that it says in the Word of God that the angels long to look into these things because they, they don't get the utter humiliation that God was willing to put Himself through, to put His own Son through in order that so that when Peter and you and I come to our senses about our rebellion against God and we go and we weep bitterly in repentance, there's a sacrifice for sin 
that we have to call upon. All of our weeping bitterly, if Jesus didn't go to the cross, would not have saved Peter at all. And there would have been no salvation for any of us in this room, my dear brothers and sisters, had Jesus not continued on into the night suffering and continuing on into the next day suffering with the passage we'll look at next week going to the cross and becoming obedient even to death even death on a cross he went all through this for you so that you and I as we are convicted of our sin even this morning we can fall on our knees and think of all the wicked things that we've done The many times, let's not kid ourselves, that we have denied Christ with our actions. And let's also be honest, the way we still deny Christ, even as Christians, with our actions, the times when we know we should not sin and we choose to anyway, Dear friends, we also likewise, like Peter, should go and weep bitterly. When is the last time that you have wept bitterly for your sinfulness? Because it was indeed our sin that held Jesus up on the cross until the full wrath of God was paid and satisfied. He is worthy of us weeping bitterly this morning in worship and in repentance. And maybe you haven't wept over your sin in a long time. Friends, there's occasion to weep bitterly over sin every day. Our hearts just don't see the sinfulness of sin like it should, or the holiness of God like it should. But you know what? We do have those moments. And you know what? When we do, we can turn to God And weep. And he hears us. Do you know why? Because it is finished. And it is finished. Because Jesus endured being spit upon. And mocked. And ridiculed. The king of kings and lord of lords. Humbled himself. And became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. And so God. Exalted him to the highest place. And gave him. The name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us close in prayer at this time and thank God for his great love for us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your amazing grace. Thank you so much for being a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Thank you that you were like one from whom men hide their faces. You were despised and we esteemed you not. You were stricken, smitten and afflicted. You were utterly humiliated and mocked and ridiculed and you never once stood up for yourself Because you were standing up for us. Thank you so much, Jesus, for enduring all of this. 
so that we could gather this morning here in Reading, Pennsylvania and offer you the worship you deserve. There would have been no sacrifice for sins that ever could have atoned if you had not gone all the way to the cross. And we just want to thank you for your endurance. Thank you for never sinning once, never stumbling once. Thank you, Lord, for being the perfect spotless Lamb of God who has taken away our sins. We love you and we ask for our faith to deepen in you, our passion to grow stronger for you. And Lord, I pray for any unbeliever here that they would turn to you right now in repentance, weep bitterly over their sins like Peter, and have life. Let us as a church weep bitterly over our sins and turn to the Lord and thank him that a sacrifice for sins was made. Our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Don't you love him? Don't you love him? He's awesome, isn't he? He's awesome. Church, marvel at all that God's done for you as you head out today. Enjoy your day. And now, get to go to a baptism. Ah, it's awesome. Hallelujah. Have a wonderful day. God bless you.